0: Okay, so we're in a series right now in uh, the story of Joseph, and in particular, we're looking at relationships. We've called the series A Relationships Revolution, and uh, we're really wanting God to strengthen our relationships and and through the scriptures to understand how do we relate better to one another and how do we do this relationship thing better. And what you might remember from last time is that we got to the point where Potiphar's wife, has come on over strong. She's obviously kind of full of hormones and, and she's a bit oversexed, and so she's kind of come on really strong to Joseph, and he's resisted the temptation to engage with that, and he's run out of the room and he's left his coat behind. So Genesis 39 is where we're going to read, and we're going to start at verse 13. When she, that's Potiphar's wife saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. That's not quite true, is it? Anyway, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. When I was at school we had a supply teacher called Mr Johnson and he was an Irish guy. He always wore a double-breasted jacket, I remember. I don't know why that's important. But he, he was absolutely rubbish at controlling the class. I mean, terrible. And so whenever, whenever the teacher was away and he was there, you were like, brilliant. This is just a whole lesson of doing absolutely nothing. And bless him, he used to, uh, you know, kind of walk around the room and try and encourage people to get on with their work and just try and just help them, keep them on task. But really, it wasn't really happening. And my friend, Ben Lethem, noticed that every time he came to our desk, he put his hands on the desk uh, in the same place. And so when he was over the other side of the room, some I have told this story before, he, 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 uh, my friend Ben Lethem, he got an ink cartridge and he emptied it onto the place where Mr. Johnson usually put his hands when he was on, at our desk. And so Mr., Mr. Johnson came round and he put his hands on the desk and he didn't notice that he'd put his hands in the ink and then later on in the lesson he just started like, he had a little bit of an itch on his forehead and then he had obviously an itch on his side of his face and and uh, at that point somebody in the class said, sir you've got something on your face and so of course he was like, where, 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 where is it? and started covering his whole face and then we were like, no, no, honestly so it's black ink and he looked at his hand and he was a bit worried and so then he took out a handkerchief and he started trying to like wipe it and it was just making it worse and then because it was a biology lab he then um, turned on the tap and he soaked his hanky in water and then he started smearing it and it just got worse and worse and worse and to be honest that was the last lesson that Mr Johnson ever taught us we never saw him again but just as he was leaving the classroom to go and sort himself out he pointed at me and he said you boy stand up and I was like oh no and he said I hold you personally responsible go and see the headmaster and I was like but that's so unfair you know that wasn't me it wasn't me sir I didn't do that it was Ben Leatham and he said I hold you personally responsible and I said but it's not fair and he said what all adults say when they hear a kid say it's not fair they say life isn't fair it's true isn't it life life isn't fair the truth is of course that lots of things that we feel are real injustices when we're younger actually turn out to be that not big of a you know not much of a deal and um, you know like kids all the time say things like but Gary down the road, he gets to stay up till two in the morning every night and I'm, I have to go to bed at half past seven. Or Barry down the road, his mum lets him have Nike Air trainers and I've got Georgia Asda trainers. Or, you know, why is it that my sister gets more pocket money than me and all of that kind of stuff, it's not fair. And to be honest, it turns out that that isn't actually that much of a deal. But as we walk through life, we discover that actually injustice is one of the biggest causes of pain in our lives and many of the people here or in the other sites will know exactly what I mean. You know for some of us it's like it wasn't fair when your dad walked out on you when you were a kid. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that your wife cheated on you. It wasn't fair that in the swimming pool that man took advantage of you. It wasn't fair that when there were job cuts in the air, all your colleagues turned on you. It wasn't fair that people started to spread malicious or totally false allegations about you or that you were relentlessly bullied at school. It wasn't fair. And that is the truth, isn't it? That life isn't fair and it it causes us very significant pain especially when it involves some of our closest and and dearest relationships and the question we're going to look at today is how do we deal with that? How do we deal with injustice? How do we deal with people when they're not being fair to us? What is the godly way to respond when we're the victims of injustice? And of course the story of Joseph is brilliant for that because, you know, as we just read, he, um, having been the favourite son and knowing the love and affirmation of his dad, he's um, rejected by the rest of his family and he's packed on a camel off to Egypt and there in Egypt he starts to find a home, starts to make a life again and he starts, it seems to me that Potiphar was almost like a kind of a new father figure for him and he's just starting to get to grips with things he's being recognized for his gifts and he's being affirmed in those things and then just at that moment this woman who's obviously you know a bit um out of control she makes these totally false allegations and before long it's all gone it's like it's like experiencing the pain of the rejection of his first family all over again And so what we're going to look at today is what can we learn from Joseph about how we respond when life doesn't treat us in the way that we deserve. And the first thing is this, don't be surprised when you experience injustice. Actually, injustice is just a normal part of living in a broken world you know God didn't create the cosmos like that he created it to be totally just and totally fair uh, and with total purity but the world is now infested isn't it with selfishness and sin and jealousy and hatred and so we don't live in a perfect world any longer but the other thing is of course that for us as Christians in particular as God's people injustice is now a way of life It's normal for the people of God. So often we live with the mistaken notion that the more mature you are in the faith and the deeper your Christian commitment and the closer you draw near to God, that life will be easier, that your life will look a little bit more like that of a winner, you know? And and actually lots of Christian TV and the stuff that you'd find on the internet would seem to suggest that. I just literally watched about two minutes of that new Freeview channel the other night. Uh, What was it called? TBN or something like that Uh, it's a Christian TV channel and there was a guy there who was basically saying that the closer you draw near to God the easier your life will be if only that were the case if only the problem with that picture is that there is no place in in that kind of theology for suffering and yet the way of the Christian is the way of Christ which is the way of the cross I've been so struck this week just as I've been reflecting on just the, in, the, this whole series of injustices that pile up on Jesus uh, on the way to the cross. He's betrayed in the most brutal way possible with a kiss by one of his disciples. And then he's brought into a place where people just make up lie after lie after lie about him. And some of you know what that's like, to just have someone lie and lie and lie about you. And then he's brought before Pontius Pilate, and actually after interrogation, Pontius Pilate says in John chapter 18, verse 38, he says this, I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. And yet two verses later, in chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. It's not fair, is it? And actually twice more in chapter 19, Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against him. And yet he gives him over to be crucified. It's not fair. It's not right. He doesn't deserve it. And then Jesus says to us, If anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me it's a road marked with suffering there's pain in the offering but it's the way of the cross and it's the way of Christ and so therefore it's the way of the Christian and so in 1 Peter um, uh, the Apostle Peter says this 1 Peter 4 verse 12 dear friends Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's actually one of the main themes of Peter's writing, this whole concept of suffering and and not being taken by surprise, not, not suddenly thinking, hang on a minute, what's going on? It's like this is to be expected because we follow Jesus. And obviously he's observed the suffering of Jesus and the injustice that was heaped upon Jesus First-hand and at close quarters and so therefore he knows it's going to happen to us too. Don't be surprised when life turns out not to be fair. Don't be surprised. That's the first thing. Don't be surprised. It's just normal. It's just normal. It's normal for living in this world and it's especially normal for the followers of Christ. But secondly, the second thing we learn from the story of Joseph is this. Don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. I could totally imagine what must have been going through Joseph's head. So this is what happens when you do the right thing, is it? You know, I tried to do the right thing and be kind to my dad and I was thrown in a pit. I tried to be nice to my brothers and I was strapped to a camel and sent off to Egypt. I tried to do the right thing by my boss and this woman came along and she tempted me and if my boss had been in the room he would have seen that I'd done the right thing. And here I am in prison. It's like, this is what happens when you do the right thing. And often we become sceptical and jaded and we just think, well, if that's what happens when you do the right thing, I'm just going to not bother. I'll just give them a taste of their own medicine. I'll just take revenge. I'll just do whatever it takes. But I can't do the right thing anymore. It's exhausting. Maybe some people here, you've arrived at that point. where you just think, I'm done with doing the right thing. I'm tired of pursuing purity in my marriage. I'm tired of working with integrity or doing my tax returns honestly. It's too costly. And yet there isn't the faintest glimmer in the text that Joseph does anything other than walk with integrity and to walk with God. How does he do that? Where does he get the strength from to just carry on putting one foot in front of the other and doing the right thing? Well, I think the, the clue comes in the second half of verse 20, where it says this But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. His proximity to the presence of God is what gave him the strength and the courage to keep going. And actually, it goes on it says, The Lord was with him, and the Lord showed him kindness. And actually that's not a very good translation in the ESV the English Standard Standard Version is a better translation it says this but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love it's great isn't it or the New Living Translation but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love it's the kind of love that never lets go the truth that we need to get hold of is this, I can maintain my integrity and I can keep doing the right thing because Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. God is with Joseph in the palace and now he's with Joseph in the prison and nothing's changed. When I first became a Christian I found the first six months incredibly difficult. Uh, My friends just thought I'd made a ridiculous decision and so they relentlessly bullied me and mocked me for the decision that I'd made to follow Jesus and it became really clear quite early on that I just wasn't really at home there anymore and yet also I didn't feel completely at home amongst the Christians either because we used to go you know hang out in a youth group and they used to ask for prayer for things that you really weren't that big of a deal you know oh I'd you know I just I'm finding that getting up at seven o'clock in the morning to read my Bible every day is just really exhausting. So please could you pray me, pray with me about that? Or, you know, uh, I'm just struggling to pray for more than about an hour and a half a day. Or, you know, I was just like, oh, you poor thing. Oh, I just feel so, you know, you must feel so crushed in your spirit because of the really difficult things you're struggling with. And I was struggling with proper things, you know, like proper things. And so it became clear that I wasn't at home with my non-Christian friends and I wasn't uh, really at home amongst the Christians either and I went to my youth leader and I said I'm just finding this too hard and to be honest I think it is just too hard and so I think I'm just going to give up and he said this and I'll never forget it he said Jesus never said it would be easy but he said it would be worth it one day we'll see Jesus face to face And he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And he'll whisper to us, or maybe shout to us, I don't know. Well done, good and faithful servant. God is with us in our struggles. And his presence is what gives us the power to not throw in the towel. If you're in a place right now where life just seems terribly unfair, please don't throw in the towel. The third thing is, don't recycle their weapons. Each time we're treated unfairly, it, it, it feels like a kind of a knife in the back, doesn't it? And, and sometimes it feels like, oh, and there's another one, oh, and there's another one, oh, and there's another one. It feels like, how many more knives am I going to get in the back? And after a while, it kind of feels like what we actually want to do is just take out one of the knives out of our own back and then just thrust it back at them. That's what a lady. I, I've been looking at the news recently. There was two people who took proper revenge, right? There was a lady. She was from. Um, uh, she was a Saudi lady, and she'd been jilted at the altar or something like that. And then, so when her, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, partner, or whatever, he, he found somebody else that he was going to get married to her on on their wedding day, she took his car, and then she drove it around town, driving through red lights and she just kept driving through and then reversing and, then, and it's all on YouTube, you could just see her driving through and reversing, driving through and reversing. She, he, he, when he got back from his honeymoon, he had a bill for £51,000. Uh, there was another guy who, who I think he'd, his, his girlfriend had broken up with him in a way that he didn't perceive as being very fair and so what he did was he took a chainsaw to every single one of their possessions and he cut every single one in half and then he put all of his half on eBay. And so you could buy like half a teddy bear, half a CD collection, half an iPhone 6, half a laptop, and even half a Vauxhall Corsa. Um, You can see it all on YouTube. And there's something within us that says, yeah, that's the way you deal with people. When they stick it in you, you stick it back in them. Let's have a little bit of a look at some of the knives that went into Joseph's back. The first one, I think they're all going to come up in a one The first one is gossip. Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. It was like, come on, let me tell you what he's done. And isn't that so painful? When it feels like there's a gathering momentum of people who are in the other, on the other side. where where it's like an increasing number of people are against us. It's so difficult. Another one, blame shifting. Verse 14, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. The truth is she isn't going to take responsibility for anything. Like she's not holding her hand up for a single thing. In fact, she's even blaming her husband for allowing this man to come into the house. It's like, I'm not to blame in any way for anything. Another one, lies. She goes on, he came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. That's just a barefaced lie. Like, not a single word of that sentence is true. Then he's also on the receiving end of anger fueled decisions. When Potiphar hears about what's been happening, it says in verse 19 that he burned with anger. And that's not like or he was just a little bit concerned, or he was a bit confused, or he didn't quite understand what was going on, he was absolutely raging. And then in that moment, while he was absolutely filled with rage, he said, right, off to prison with you. And so often, aren't we? We're, we're the recipients of decisions that have been made when people are just furious. Rejection. He's been rejected by his family, and now he's been rejected by Potiphar's family. And revenge. Ultimately, what Potiphar's decision amounts to is I'm going to, you're going to pay for this. And many of us, as we look at that list, we'll just see a whole bunch of painful knives that have been stuck in our back over the years. Things that have been done to us, said to us, and it wasn't fair. But Joseph feels all these knives digging in his back, and he doesn't recycle a single one. He doesn't touch a single one again just thinking about Jesus in that moment where he's arrested it all kicks off you know these these soldiers and guards come and they've got clubs and swords and torches and lanterns and they arrive on the scene and it says that one of the disciples picked up a sword and chopped off somebody's ear and actually uh, John's gospel tells us which disciple it was it was Simon Peter he picks up this sword and he's like I'm going to get my own back and stuff And Jesus says this thing, which honestly I believe is a word for us in these kind of situations. He says, put your sword down. Put your sword down. It's like that may be how other people roll, but that's not the family way. That's not what we do in our family. And so actually, in moments of intense injustice, the family way is to do the very opposite is to say not only will I not gossip but actually I'm going to just go just me and I'm going to go and speak to that person and if that doesn't work out I'm just going to take one other person and I'm going to go and I'm going to to try and sort this out. I will not allow this situation to become the subject of gossip or to allow other people to get drawn into it. I will not shift the blame, in fact I'll hold my hands up and confess my sin and and I'll, I'll try and find any single area, even if most of it seems totally unjust, I'll try and find just the slightest thing that I can say, yeah I can recognise I've done that and I'll hold my hands up. I'll be ruthlessly honest. I won't make a single decision in anger, in fact the family way is I pray and I stop and I consider and I only make a decision when I know what God is saying. And I'll choose forgiveness over rejection. And I'll choose love over over revenge. I'll put my sword down. I'll put my sword down. Romans 12, verse 19 says this Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 2 22 is speaking about Jesus. And it says this He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly here's the thing our model is not the Saudi lady who drove backwards and forwards through the red lights our model is not the man who took a chainsaw to everything our model is Jesus and he never picks up a sword And the last thing is, don't miss the chance to help others. When you're on the receiving end of injustice and suffering and pain, don't miss out on the chance to help others. What I love about Joseph is his sensitivity and his compassion, even in the moment when he's right down in the pit. Did he have a big problem? Definitely. Did he have a reason to hold a grudge without a question? Could he have spent all of his life consumed with his own problems definitely and who would have blamed him but what we'll discover in the next chapter is that once he arrives in prison he notices that there are two other people there who are suffering too and in verse 6 it says he saw that they were dejected and then in verse 7 it says that he cares enough to ask why they were dejected and it reveals something about the kindness and the compassion of his own heart, that even in that place, even when nobody would have expected him to do anything else, or, you, you know, to, to, to really invest in anyone else, he had compassion. And um, there's a, an American pastor called Leslie Flynn who wrote a little book about the story of Joseph. And in it, he tells this story about a, a, a college professor who... Um, was treated very unfairly. I think someone had made a whole series of false accusations against him that had no basis in fact, and his whole reputation was completely destroyed. And he was so low. And he went to go and have coffee with a friend, and they were just speaking about it and, just, and kind of living in the pain of that moment uh, and uh, just sharing how unfair it was. And then between the two of them, they tried to think about what could we do or what could he do to kind of pull himself out of the pit and what he decided to do was he made a list of all the people in his life who had helped him in some kind of a way or encouraged him along the way and then out of all of those people that he made a list of he decided that he would select one of them and he would write a letter of thanks to them. And so, just as he was praying about it, into his mind's eye came uh, the picture of a teacher who had been in his primary school, and while she was there, she had been the one to instil in him a love for books and literature, and had really helped him in that. And so he wrote her just a little letter, just saying, I just want to say thank you so much. That really shaped the course of my life. And then a few days later came a reply. And it came in a very shaky hand, obviously from a a lady who was very elderly and had been retired for a long time, and it said this. Dear William, when I read your letter, I was blinded with tears, for I remember you as a little fellow in my class. You have warmed my old heart. I've taught school for 50 years. Yours is the first letter of thanks I've received from a student, and I shall cherish it until I die and that reply encouraged him to write another letter and another letter and another letter and apparently over the course of the next few weeks this guy wrote 500 letters of thanks and by the time he'd finished writing 500 letters of thanks he'd found that in that pit, in that dungeon he'd found light and he'd found it possible to bless other people even in the, the kind of the darkness and the depth of that pit If you're in a pit right now of injustice, if you've been opposed or maligned or slandered or falsely accused or misunderstood or wrongly persecuted, you could do what everyone else would do, which is to get your own back or to fight your way out. But Jesus shows us and Joseph shows us that there's another way. Why don't we stand?